0: Good morning, Grace. Uh, I'm operating on a little bit less than normal sleep. As I come to you this morning, I spent some hours with a family who watched their son close his eyes for the last time. And so, pardon me ahead of time if I am emotional. Jesus, it's times like this that we need to come to your word. There is no hope outside of you. And we come to your word expectant. We come to your word desiring to meet you. And Lord, there are a thousand things that would distract us. From what you have to say to us this morning and Lord we desperately need to hear what you are saying to us this morning our hearts are heavy and they are expectant bless us Jesus as we turn to your word in Jesus name Amen why did pirates wear earrings one theory I found it was that they used the earrings to hold wax that they would insert into their ears when they were below deck firing the cannons. Now, this makes perfect sense to me because I remember as a kid, I obviously loved learning about pirates and I th- kept thinking to myself, they must have been deaf from the din, from the Cannon roar that rocked and caused ear, mind, and body to convulse from the bombardment every battle. Have you ever considered that you are in the din of battle every single day? Have you considered that you might be deaf? to reality because of the bombardment all around you? We all are. We are desensitized to illicit relationships. We are desensitized to violence. We are desensitized to the banality of entertainment. Do you want to regain your hearing? Do you want to Regain your ability to see and experience the reality around you? David wrote Psalm 4 so that you and I may regain our ability to experience reality. Trust God's promises, not worldly lies. Life is a battle. There is a din of bombardment from every corner. But you only notice it when you allow yourself to be still. When you allow yourself to open your ears. When you have ears for hearing. David in Psalm 4 wants you to help, help you find peace in the din of, of disbelief. The din, the roar in the theater of battle that is our current life and consists of temptations from every quarter to disbelieve the promises of God. Satan first planted seeds of disbelief in Adam and Eve while they were in the garden. Then Satan did his best to do the same with Jesus in the wilderness. And Satan... Jesus' best friend John tells us in the second chapter of his epistle, Satan has laid out the world in such a way that we must swim up current deliberately amidst the cannon fire of the pirates around us if we are to escape the din of his lies so that we may find peace in this rock-splitting current. Keep swimming. Keep trusting God's promises, not worldly lives. God finds David, and David gives the secret of finding this peace, and he wants you to trust God's promises, not worldly lies. Let's see if we can find this truth and some promises to combat the lies we hear each day. We find as we come to Psalm 4 that David is facing a threat. This threat is exacerbated by those near him who are teaching lies about God or they're lying about David or they're trusting in their own idols or of course all three at the same time. And as we noted last week, the statement of the problem David is facing, this time in verse 2, is intentionally vague. David wants believers of every century to apply the truths given here in a general way. Or he wants to hear them in a general way so that we can apply them in a specific way. And that same thing is happening right here. We don't know who David's enemies are except we know that they lie against God and they're lying specifically about David himself. And David calls his enemies to repentance. Repent of your lies, repent of your empty words, and trust in Yahweh, who hears those who trust him. So sure, in fact, is David of relief from God that this clear psalm of lament sings like a psalm of confidence. Trust God's promises. Not worldly lies. Let's see how he brings us about in Psalm 4. David says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men! Amen! How long shall my honor be turned to shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the, ungodly, the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts and on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. Trust God's promises, not worldly lies. If I were to put this psalm into one very unpoetic sentence, it would be this. Know that Yahweh hears those who call upon Him. Therefore, I can rejoice and rest in His protection and provision. The question you must ask regarding Psalm 4, so that you can understand what David is singing to you, is this. Who is David addressing? In each of these verses, we need to understand who David is speaking or singing to. Now, David has four audiences for his psalm in mind. And He has each of these audiences in mind, I believe, when he pens every section of the psalm. You'll notice that I repeat a few verses as I explain the passage below, and I do that on purpose because David is communicating these truths, these promises, and he's militating against these lies to more than one group of people. Allow me to elaborate. First and foremost, the audience in this psalm is God himself. Four times he speaks of or to the Lord, to Yahweh. And one more time, he simply calls upon God of my righteousness. Clearly, David's psalm is addressed to God in all his petitions. And even when he's recounting the lies of the ungodly, he does so in such a way that it reflects how those lies are in reality attacks upon God himself. And finally, we see that he both begins and ends his psalm appealing directly to God. This is no accident. Secondly, David's audience is himself. David preaches the good news to himself. He writes because David wants to remind himself why he is fighting, why he is swimming up current. Why is it that David knows, or what is it that David knows while the din of bombardment, the roar of lies all around him shakes and moves his world? What is it fundamentally that David believes about God himself? And then we see throughout this psalm that David's audience is the ungodly. And he says, take warning, pay attention, note well. It will not go well with you if you continue to fight against the truth. Therefore, ungodly one, trust Yahweh. Trust in the Lord. And finally, we see that David's audience is you and me. The believers who will worship the Lord using this psalm. Know the Lord has set apart the ungodly for Himself. The Lord hears. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder. Be silent. Offer right sacrifices. In summary, trust in the Lord. David sings to four different audiences. And this song of faith, this trust in the promises of God, in a nutshell, is I trust Yahweh or as you and I might sing it today I trust Jesus David says I trust you Yahweh therefore I call out to you and you hear me he also says I trust Yahweh therefore O enemies I am not afraid of you but you should be afraid of God David also sings, I trust Yahweh, therefore, O my soul, call upon Him, trust in Him, rejoice and rest in Him while the din of disbelief roars around you. And finally, I trust Yahweh, therefore, O believer, Christian, hold fast to your trust, Hold fast, cling tightly that He remains faithful when you trust in Him. And as you meditate through this psalm, consider how each of these audiences are addressed. Ask yourself how each of these people that David is speaking to should, in fact, hear what is being sung given their respective position for or against Yahweh. And as always, trust in God's promises, not worldly lies. Let's look at verse 1. David writes, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. You know, the Bible is so full of prayers and answers to prayer and commands to pray and promises that your prayers will be heard, that it is astounding that we find prayerlessness in the church. Make no mistake, prayerlessness is practical atheism. It Demonstrating a lack of belief in God for prayer is the primary way true faith expresses itself. Now listen, I'm about to get in your business here. It won't be comfortable. Shooting up quick popcorn prayers, hot sound bites that randomly happen through the day is good and right and necessary. Don't forsake your popcorn, especially when it's got a ton of salt, a ton of butter on it. Mm. But popcorn is not enough to live on. You, Christian, need to pray. You and I, friend, need to have a scheduled, disciplined time alone together with God. Legalism! Some of you are thinking it is not. Obeying the commands of Scripture is not legalism, it is obedience. Doing what God tells you to do and avoiding things that He tells you to avoid is not legalism. It is walking by faith. It is trusting that God will do what He says He will do. It is faith because it is looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, so that we will see Him moving in and through and for us and our near ones. So trust God's promises. Not worldly lies that try to convince you that you don't need to pray because that's legalism. Those are lies. They are lies. This worldly lie that Christians are tempted to believe that they don't need to pray because God will forgive them. Well, yeah. But that's like saying, I don't need to talk to my wife because she'll forgive me. Now, Is that true? Sure. If I'm sick or I'm busy with something, she won't expect me to sit down and have an enormous conversation. But if I don't plan to talk to her, do I really love my wife? Let that question sink in. Do I love Jesus if I don't take specific time to talk with Him and allow Him to speak with me through His Word each and every day? Reject the worldly lies around you. You you see it clearly here in verse 1 where they are speaking to David. They are telling David that they don't he doesn't need to trust in him. It's verse 2. I got ahead of myself. And that's where we see it. Verses 2 and 3, where David says, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Say, La. But no. That the Lord has set apart the godly for Himself. The Lord hears when I call to Him. Here we see David's complaint against those who besieged him with lies. Firing cannons of disbelief. The enemies are turning David's honor into shame. They disapprove of and seek to stop David's pursuit of the Lord. Welcome to the real world. How do I see this? Look at what is going on in verse 2. Look at verse 2 with me. How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? <laughs> David is clearly saying that it is lies that they are attacking him with. But David's response to their lies, you got to see the connection. David's response is, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for Himself. In other words, the lies are specifically attacking David at his relationship with the Lord. And his answer is, I will call upon, or the Lord hears me when I call upon Him. The turning of David's honor into shame, the the turning of David's honor that he calls upon the name of the Lord and he trusts that God will set him apart is, with these vain words, I, I, I can't help but know the corollary to what we are experiencing in this world today. It's plainly, painfully obvious that the world dismisses basic humanity. I have to say, if you can't tell if someone is male or female by pulling down their pants, then the vain words that you are trusting in are cancer to your soul. Help the one who's confused. Love him or her, no matter what they call themselves. Know them and love them. But love them. Don't do whatever it means for the world to say tolerate them. Don't celebrate what is a lie. Now, how do we do this? Instead of fighting, instead of adding to the din of the bombardment, the right response to the lie is truth and love. You don't need to get upset. You don't need to shout your own cannon across their bow. You need to calmly... And spiritually, speak the truth in love. The right response is calling upon the Lord in your hour of need because He hears you. Of course, if you are doing this well, you are also knowing the one who needs your love. You are knowing him or her well enough to know how to love them. How to speak truth to them. And how. By God's grace to trust the promises of God instead of worldly lies. David wants you to feel his song of trust and defiance. It's trust and defiance. I trust Yahweh. Therefore, O my enemies, O ungodly person, I am not afraid of you, but you should be of God. And to those who set themselves against you, they may be your enemy, but you must not be theirs. You, Christian, are there to love them and to learn God's promises and then to warn them. Christian, speak truth. How do we do this? We saturate ourselves with God's Word. And when we saturate ourselves with God's words, we cannot but speak truth truth and we saturate ourselves with God's word we swim in the current that gives life of God's word so that we can't but love them so that when they disagree with you they will know that you love David continues verses 3 through 5 But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for Himself. The Lord hears when I call to Him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your own beds, and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. (laughs) David sings these verses to himself. Well, I understand that. I need plenty of reminders of what I believe. I need plenty of reminders to remember who I trust. I need plenty of reminders that it is my job to turn my fears, to turn the din of lies around me to Jesus. Lord, You know. Lord, You are here. Lord, Lord, meet me here. note that David first remembers the Lord has set apart the godly for himself the Lord does this and it is true equally true as we see in these verses that we set ourselves apart for God where do I see that the Lord hears when I call to him i'm setting myself apart to unto God by calling out to him how do i set myself apart to God i Am angry and do not sin. I don't give wrath vent in my life. I ponder in my hearts and bed and be silent. It is true that we must set ourselves apart unto God because He sets us apart unto Him. Now, what I'm about to say is one way to describe the secret to the Christian life. What I'm about to say is one of the ways that the Bible uses to describe how it is you are in this process of becoming like Christ. And the way you do that is to devote yourself to God, to set yourself apart unto the Lord by following what we see in these verses. Verse 4: Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your bed and be silent. Now, you can't do this. You can't do this on your own. The only way that you obey this list of commands is to set your part self apart unto the Lord. Not simply turning away from evil, though you must do that. Instead, you must not only put off ungodliness as Paul says in Ephesians and in Colossians, but you must set yourself apart unto the Lord. You must put on righteousness. You pursue Him. You call upon Him. You trust in Him, as David elaborates in verse 5. Offer right sacrifices. Stop arguing and fighting against yourself By saying, this is just legalism, Pastor Greg. I won't be a hypocrite by being a legalist. Well, that's fine. But sleeping in church won't make you a Christian any more than sleeping in your garage will make you a car. Verse 5 is the central verse in this psalm. So we need to trust in God's promises, not worldly lies. We need to offer right sacrifices and put our trust in God. In the Lord. David wants you to sing his song of trust and defiance in your own words. He wants you to turn to this psalm. So that when you are in distress, when you are in the din of the bombardment of disbelief, you will say, I trust you, Yahweh. Therefore, O my soul, call upon Him, trust in Him, rejoice in Him, rest in Him, while the din of disbelief thunders. Because life is not fair. Oh God, it is not. Life will throw a hard ball at you and you will have to duck. How? By dropping to your knees in prayer. And oh, while you are dodging those pitches, you will be tempted to be angry. Let's hear these verses again. Verses 4, 5, and 6. Be angry and do not sin. Oh yes, there's lots to be angry about. Ponder in your own hearts and on your own beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lord, lift up the light of your face upon us. You will miss everything in this psalm if you miss the connection between verses 4 and 5. Be angry and do not sin and offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Now, Let's talk about offering right sacrifices. Right sacrifices refers to offering the best of your produce to God as a form of worship. David is here talking about the temple worship of his day. You were to bring with you the best of what you had as a way of saying, Lord, I trust in you. I value a right relationship to you more than knowing where my food next month is going to come from. That's literally what it meant to worship in ancient Israel. And these sacrifices, these physical sacrifices, were commanded as a way to demonstrate their faith, demonstrate their trust in the Lord. And David understood. David knew... That it wasn't the blood of rams and sheep and goats that made you right with God. It was something far deeper. It was a trust in Yahweh that changed how you saw the world around you. And so you no longer trusted in your own provision. You no longer trusted in what you could do. Now you, Christian, are not required to bring a ram or a sheep or a goat to a temple and watch it be slaughtered in front of you. So you ask the question, what is it that is required of you? Jesus answers this question in John chapter 6. It is to believe in Him whom He has sent. It is to trust in the promises of God for you in Christ. And specifically, where David is going with this, how you trust the promises of God for you in Christ is that you be angry and do not sin. It means you sit still and you do not give vent to your wrath. It means you trust in the Lord rather than trusting in your plans for vengeance or justice or whatever else your heart is made up. And my friends... Beloved, while you are offering this gift to Jesus of your surrendered anger, the ungodly will return and they will say to you, Your God won't do anything good for you. Who will show us some good? David quotes the ungodly. So how does David respond? What does David say in response to this particular lie of the world? This lie of Satan right in your face? David doesn't speak to them. He doesn't speak to Satan. David speaks to the Lord. Lift up your eyes. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. There's the promise. There's the promise. How do we combat the lie? We combat the lie by going to the promise. Lift up the light of Your face upon us, O Lord. Jesus, I cannot please the ungodly, so I trust instead in You. And this, my beloved, was won for you at the cross. This, my beloved, was won for you when Jesus bought your righteousness. He took away your sins and put them as far away from you as the east is from the west. And He gave you, He credited to you, a righteousness that cannot be destroyed. And that is why you can be still. That is why you can offer right sacrifices. That is why you can trust in the Lord because Jesus is the amen to every promise God has ever made. This life is hard. It is full of sleepless nights gathered around grieving families. And we need to swim upstream all the way. There is no break in the wind. The way before you is rough and steep. Yet there is no sickness, toil, or danger in that bright land to which I go. Oh, Lord, lift up the light of your face upon us. We need to sense your presence. Oh, God, we need to have you with us. We need to know that you are with us. We need to feel that you are with us so that we will know you better. And therefore, love you and trust you more. Oh, God, enable us to trust your promises and not worldly lies David calls out to you and me. To you and to me. And he says, I trust Yahweh. I trust Jesus. Therefore, O oh believer, hold fast to your trust that He remains faithful to you who trust in Him. Stand by, believer. Keep to your post. You are not relieved of duty yet. Trust that God has you. Never give up. Never Never, never, never give up. Oh, Lord, be here now. Why? Why can we trust this? Why can we never, 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 never give up? Verse 7 and 8. Let's look at the promises. Let's look at the promises oh God give us these promises you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound in peace I will both lie down and sleep for you alone oh Lord make me dwell in safety in the last couple of days my young friend went to sleep fitful sleep Finally, the sleep became more peaceful and finally the sleep ended in him embracing his Lord. He is safe. And even death, even, even death was not such an enemy that Jesus could not make it his slave. Death is Jesus' servant because precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. You, Christian, can bank on that. You can trust in that. Death is the servant of Jesus and in Him you are more than conquerors over all your enemies. There is no lie. There is no cancer. There is no problem in your life that Jesus is not Master and Lord over. So rejoice and rest in Him because He is your protection. He is your provision. In these two verses, David returns to addressing God. But this time, David is putting shoe leather on his beliefs. David makes clear. He makes plain statements of the strategy he intends to use so that he can rejoice and rest in the Lord. Here's his point. You can say the words, I believe in God. But what on earth does that mean? Satan believes in God. If what that means is that he holds the correct view that God exists, of course. Besides that, believe in God. I'm not sure what else that phrase might mean. A better phrase, a better thing to grasp onto is is to say, I trust God's promises like the promises in verses 7 and 8. This will mean that you know one or more of these promises scattered throughout all of Scripture. It means that you will apply these promises to yourself. Yes, Jesus, this is true for me. It means that you believe that God counts you as one of those for whom these promises were given. And then at the same time, it is that you are knowing these promises and believing these promises. You will also trust these promises. You will act. You will live your life as if they are true for you. It means that you will rejoice in your struggles. I wrote that phrase earlier this week. And I'm holding my brother and his wife, and what does that mean for them? Rejoice in this struggle? What, what could that possibly mean? At least this. There are times when the current is so strong There are times when the din, the roar of the bombardment is so great that the only way you get through it, the only way you are able to see reality is to have someone else hold that reality for you. I believe for you right now, brother. I believe with you. Right now, brother. Christianity is not a lone ranger sport. Christianity has lived in community and if you are not living in that community, you are, not, you are not living and you will be subject to the bombardment, the roar of the cannons all around you and you will be lost and you will suffer pain that you do not need to. Trust in God's promises even if right now that trust is experienced by holding the arms of a believer. I told you at the beginning that this psalm is a direct reference back to Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 to 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. This was the blessing that Yahweh commanded His priests to bestow on Yahweh's people. Psalm 4 and a couple other psalms, including Psalm 63, are David's interpretations of how to live in light of this blessing while you were in the din of battle. You need to have this blessing spoken over you. You need to hear this blessing pronounced upon you because you are a child of the Lord. You need to have this blessing applied to your life. And David's song of confidence in the roar of noise all around you is a model for you to use so that you can take this psalm, so that you can take any of the psalms, And apply them to yourself in light of the battle you are fighting. Trust in God's promises. Know that Jesus hears those who call upon Him. therefore rejoice and rest in His protection and provision. Rejoice and rest in His protection and provision. Sing, believer, this psalm. Find another psalm and sing it too. Because in the psalms you will find every emotion that you will experience and you will see how you can take these emotions and bring them to the King of Kings and lay them before His throne and say, Lord, I trust in You. Show me a promise so that I may trust in You. Even when I don't feel it. Because I know the truth of your words are deeper, are stronger than my feelings. Be with me, Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Thank you, beloved.